the average human lifespan is absurdly, terrifyingly, insultingly short. It's how a new book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals begins by an author named Oliver Berkman. In the book, he asserts that the question that we all have to ask in light of that disturbing fact that we only get 4,000 weeks worth of life and over the last year and a half, that number for the average human has been cut by 78. So now we're 3,922 if my math's right. The question that we have to ask, that every human who's ever lived in their moments of clarity has asked, why am I here? What's the point? Is everything really just meaningless? We remembered yesterday, one of those days in American history where it felt like it doesn't make any sense. 9-11, 20 years ago. On that day, it didn't matter whether you were a CEO, an investment banker, an administrative assistant, or a cafeteria worker. They all ended the same. What was the point of that kind of day? Why did some people choose to go into work at their normal time and that be their last day on earth while others decided to show up late for work. Some got stuck in traffic, others ended up on time for a meeting that caused the end of their life. Why, what is the point? Why are we even here? There's a writer named Solomon, who about 3,000 years ago, he wrote about this same question. And the book of Ecclesiastes that we're gonna look at over the next few weeks in this series titled Under the Sun, it speaks with disturbing honesty and relevance that feels like it was written yesterday, maybe even this morning, to the issue that we all face. Why and how do we find meaning in life? I wanna begin this message by us reading together the first few lines, a poem, an ancient poem of wisdom literature that speaks to where we are. Now I'm gonna ask wherever you are, whether joining us online at one of our campuses or here, would you stand with me? And we're gonna read Ecclesiastes, chapter one, verses one through nine. Here's what the author says. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, absolute, Futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, for there is nothing new under the sun. This is God's word. You can be seated. 
My name is Jason, I'm one of the pastors here, and despite beginning a sermon with the most depressing news that you've ever had in church with a sermon, I actually think there are really good reasons for you to pay attention over the next few weeks. I think there are good reasons for you to invite somebody to come with you as we explore this ancient text, and here's why. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because the Word of God is gonna tell us in ways that we cannot comprehend on our own what the purpose of life is and how to find it and get the most out of it possible. The guy who's writing this book, Solomon, who most scholars believe is the one who penned it, he has done everything that you want to do. He has had everything that you think will make your life good, meaningful, complete. He's had it all. And he's got something to say to us who are still striving, trying to figure it out. It would be like this. If you're a guy who loves or a girl who loves investments, if I could bring Warren Buffett here and let him tell you all about his mistakes early on and how he learned to be a great investor, you'd lean in, wouldn't you? If I could get, um, if I could get Kobe Bryant to come here and talk to you about it, if I could get Kobe Bryant to come here and talk to you, that would be, we'd be full all the time. That'd be a whole different thing. But if he could teach us about a jump shot and how to have a competitive streak that doesn't quit, you'd lean in, wouldn't you? Name the expert. And none of them on their own has had more success and achievement than this guy right here. And Ecclesiastes is such a strange book. It sounds nothing like the rest of the Bible. In fact, Ecclesiastes is a book that if you're barely hanging on as a Christian or you're still checking things out, not quite sure, it speaks for you. But it also speaks for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time and some days feel like, what's the point? The writer of Ecclesiastes is gonna tell us how to find meaning. And the key, the clue and the key to this book is this. It's found in a phrase that he uses over and over again. The phrase is, under the sun. It's the title of the series to help you remember it. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at two chapters per week. We're not gonna go verse by verse on the weekend, but if you will read those two chapters during the week a couple of times, it'll take you 10, 15 minutes max if you're a slow reader. If you will read those two, you'll begin to ingest what he's saying, and then I want you to do this substitute everywhere you see under the sun, substitute this phrase, apart from God. We just read in, in the opening parts, it says, what does a person get for all their labor under the sun? Substitute, what does a person get for all their labor apart from God? The answer is nothing, it's meaningless. He also says this, what has been done is what will be done, for there is nothing new apart from God. This will open up what the writer wants us, not just wants, what he's begging us to hear and understand about life. So, under the sun, the view of life apart from God just simply means we're looking at life from ground level, not taking into account God's interest or his presence in our lives, but it also describes something that we all know. Under the sun also describes the source and the extent of our problems, doesn't it? Where do we experience frustration and futility? Everywhere the sun shines. Think about all the things in your life that you know should go a certain way and they end up going the opposite. Like it's that loved one that continues to do self-destructive behaviors you can't get them to change. 
It's the job that you poured your heart and soul into. You achieved, climbed the ladder, got the position that you wanted, and then it gets outsourced. It's the, the person who experiences, you know, I used to be a great athlete, not, not like me, but like the person who would say, I used to be a great athlete, and now I'm 45, and I get out on the court, and my mind knows what I'm supposed to do, but my body just can't get there. Any of you felt that before? It's the guy who goes to his retirement party to celebrate an achievement of life given to work, and then one week later has a stroke. What's the point? The point is, that's life under the sun, apart from God. And as depressing as it sounds, we're gonna get a chance to experience life in a different way, life with God. To do that, Solomon, the writer, started this experiment. We were people who love experiments. We want it to be proven to us, yes? We love to live in this age of reason and, and see good scientific experiments taken. So he does this. He tells us at the end of chapter one that he decided to look at every category of life that actually usually brings joy and pleasure and meaning to us. You know, all the big ones, it's the W's, wine, women, wisdom, wealth, and work. He's gonna set each one of those up and he's gonna attempt because he can, because he's one of the greatest kings who ever lived. He's gonna go get everything that there is in that category, live it to the nth degree, experience all that the world can offer, and then he's gonna tell us how well did that bring meaning. And one by one, he sets these up like a good scientist would, and he says, here's what I found. Spoiler alert, none of them satisfied. But let me show you what I mean. He says this in chapter two, verse four. He says, I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. What else, Solomon? What else did you do? Oh, I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. Sweet, what else? Oh, I uh, constructed reservoirs, that's using technology. Reservoirs for myself, from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. Anything else? I acquired male and female servants, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Anything else? I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself. That's art and beauty. And he says, and many concubines, the delights of men, he found trying every act of sex that he could. Is there pleasure in that? No boundaries, no restraints. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. You know the phrase, the goat, greatest of all time? That's him. This is what he's saying. This guy is like Queen Elizabeth, Jeff Bezos, and LeBron James all rolled into one. High achievement, huge possessions, tons of wisdom, all the access in the world. He says, I became better than everybody else. And listen to this. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. Man, that sounds like the cry of today, doesn't it? If you wanna find everything there is to life, just don't put any rules on. No limits, you just go get it all. Don't hold back. That will lead you to true meaning and pleasure. He says, I tried all of it. And, and listen to this, here's, here's what he says. At the, at the end of that, he comes across this terrifying feeling in verse 17. He says, therefore, I hated life. 
hated life because all of it, everything done under the sun was distressing to me. It was futile and empty. Did you notice the phrase that he kept using as he went through his little experiment? Did anybody pick up on the thing that may be a clue as to why it didn't bring lasting meaning? Anybody? What was the thing that kept getting repeated? For myself. He did all good things. He's a king. Uh, the people in his kingdom actually would have flourished from some of those things. Fruit trees and flourishing gardens and technological projects. All those are great things. Except when we turn it in on ourselves. But isn't that what we do? What we think is gonna matter is if I just indulge me as far as I can indulge me, that's gotta be it. So we want more, a little more, a little different, a little more variety, a little higher degree, more experience. Solomon says though, it doesn't satisfy like you think. In fact, at the end of all of it, I decided I hated my life. I don't want you to raise your hand, but there are people watching this online and people in this room that that's how you feel now. And you may not tell anybody that because it sounds like you know, you're just caving in. It sounds like you've given up, but you know inside that's where you are right now. I finally got here and I don't like what I got. The problem is the slogan for life under the sun, apart from God, is, is this two word phrase. It's really this, what else? When we try to live life apart from God, that's the only thing we can say. What else is there? What's next? What else can I get? What more level can I take it to? What else is the motto of this kind of life? It sounds like today. Solomon's experiment ended in a what else moment. There was this other experiment that was done about a decade ago. Um, the Washington Post got a guy named Joshua Bell to try an experiment that would see what would happen if in the middle of everyday people's everyday life, they dropped in a gift that, that like was a once in a lifetime opportunity and would see what would happen as the people exposed this. So here's what they did. Um, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Joshua Bell, he is one of the greatest violinists in the world. This guy is unbelievable. He is young and handsome. They say he looks like a cross between Donny Osmond and young Tom Cruise, which I don't get, but I guess that's a thing. He's got flowing hair. He is like a rock star on the violin. Uh, Joshua Bell can command $1,000 a ticket and sell out Carnegie Hall in a second. He's a virtuoso. He's incredible. Uh, they dropped him into a DC metro stop at rush hour, eight o'clock in the morning, one January morning. And they let him, not in disguise, but not announced, play a 300-year-old Stradivarius, priceless, one of the greatest instruments ever made. And he played some of the greatest pieces of music ever composed. Ave Maria and Bach. And for 45 minutes, Joshua Bell played his heart out. And 1,070 people streamed past him on their own agenda, on their way to work, late for whatever was next, and out of those 1,070 people in 45 minutes, $52.17 were thrown into his little case there in the subway. The guy who can command $1,000 a seat made 52 bucks and seven people stopped to listen. You can watch it, it's on YouTube. They got security cameras hidden and all this stuff that they could see that the few people who actually recognized what was happening in the moment had one thing in common. They were children. 
Every time a child passed Joshua Bell playing the instrument, they knew that something was happening. They could, they could feel and sense that there was a gift that they were experiencing and they wanted to express it. And every time the parent grabbed him by the hand and pulled him away. Afterwards, the researchers called 40 or so of the folks who had ridden that day and pretended to be conducting an experiment about the commuting, the commuting in Washington, D.C. And they said, anything interesting happened on your commute today? And only out of that 40, only one said that they even noticed the violinist. After they were prompted, a couple of them said, yeah, I did. And you know what? It annoyed me. There was this guy in there playing way too loud. And like, I was on the phone trying to close a deal. You know, I got stuff to do and places to go. And some guy was wailing over there. It just really got on my nerves. It got in my way. Somebody else said, ah, I don't even remember when you say that. It was oblivious. Only the children recognize. You know what this made me think about? Remember when Jesus that one time said, like, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. There's something about us that we have to become that open to receiving moments of gift when we don't expect them that allows us to enter into God's kingdom. The kids, they recognized it because kids don't have an agenda. They're not in control of their life. They sense what's happening around them. And if you've ever had one or played with one, they too ask the same question though, what else? Thanks, Dad, for that game with the Barbies. What else? Let's ride the bike. What else? How about a snack? You're right. That's the way we begin this life. And apart from God, it's the way that we end it. See, here's the conclusion of Solomon's experiment. This is what he found out after it was all said and done. Basically, we need to live like a kid. Here's what he said. Chapter 2, verse 24. There's nothing better for a person. I tried everything. I tried wine, women, wealth, wisdom, work. All of it. And at the end of the day, here's the best thing that I can tell you. Nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, at the end of the day, enjoy every moment as a gift and say thank you. That's actually the slogan of life with God. If what else is life apart from God's motto, Life with God is thank you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this breath. Thank you for this relationship. Thank you for this car. Thank you for this car with an empty gas tank that needs gas because it's a car. Thank you for these tiny socks to fold. Even though there's a million of them and none of them match. Right? Thank you for every moment. Have you ever noticed that all of us, this is just part of being human. We have these, these moments where we experience something and we want to say thank you. Do you know what I mean? This is common. Um, you can experience an ocean sunset, like the most beautiful beach, and you stand there watching the sky change from orange and pink and yellow, and there's something about it that makes you wanna say thank you, right? Do you know what I mean? Like you express this gratitude. You know you didn't earn it or deserve it. Um, or you're standing in front of a mountain, you know, vistas, looking at the Rockies, and it's like, wow. Hey, this didn't have to be here. Or you, you hold your baby and you feel their breath on your neck as they fall asleep and you just wanna say, thank you. One writer says, you know what the saddest thing in life is though? Life under the sun, apart from God, who do you say thank you to? 
If you don't have God to express gratitude to, who do you thank? The universe? Uh, do you thank the ocean? So glad we could have this today. Uh, sometimes we get so lost in this and sometimes the way that our society moves us, we feel like there's really at the bottom only one person that we really can thank and depend on and it sounds something like this, you know? I wanna thank me. <laughs> I wanna thank me for believing in me. I wanna thank me for doing all this hard work. Right? I wanna thank me. I don't know who else, I mean, I. Thank you for showing up, you. Thanks for putting in that hard work, me. How silly is that? Be and it's not because, because it's untrue. It's because we don't have a place for it to go. See, here's the thing. Kids experience life as a gift. But if we don't teach them thank you, they become entitled. They feel like everything is what they are earned, what they've, they've deserved, they just need more. And, and you know what, I'll be honest, it's not just kids, you know this, it's me and you too. We have to learn the appropriate response to the gift of life is thank you and to who we direct it is to God. Um, this summer, I got a chance, we went to the beach and we went to one of these little old fashioned arcades on the boardwalk at, at Ocean Isle. Fantastic little thing. Got to take my youngest daughter there. She's seven. And so we're there um, playing the games. They had all of them. They had like Miss Pac-Man and Galaga, like the good old fashioned ones. And they had the new like virtual reality. You're driving a Ferrari and your eyes are popping out of your head. And like you're losing your mind because it's so real. And you know what her favorite game was? The one that we spent five times as much money as anything else? The Claw. You know what I'm talking about? The, my Jessica calls it the ripoff game. You know the one, it's like this big, beautiful glass thing with all the stuff, pandas the size of me and gold-plated basketballs. And there's that claw dangling that you gotta maneuver around. And then at the right moment, you push the button and it drops and it's supposed to pick it up. It, it never picks it up. Do you guys know that? Do any of you know someone who actually wins the claw game? I, he's pointing to somebody right here. I can't believe that. We gotta talk later. That, that is meaningless. That's futile right there if you win. The point is, you see all this stuff and it's genius for arcade owners because not only does the game never pay out, it costs more than all the other games, right? It's like one token to play joust and, and it talks back at you like, come on, dad, slacker, put in four more credits, you know, it makes you feel bad in front of your kid too. And then, then they know what they're doing because I spend $13 trying to pick up stuff and my kid's crying because she thinks she's doing something wrong. Like, what's the problem? And I'm gonna buy a $6 ice cream. Like, this is how the claw works. And, you, and here's what's really true, Jonathan, you know this. So the claw looks like it's made out of the strongest metal known to man, like vibranium. And it's like cheap plastic. And it's not tight enough to actually, have you seen, so it, it goes down and it, it just slides right out. Things just slip out of its hand. You've done this too. Isn't this like life? This is life under the sun. It's right there. Why can't I just grab it? If I just try again, try a relationship, but throw this one away and try again. If I just get a little bit more, pump in a little more money, spend a little more time, try a little bit harder, I know that it's gonna, you know what? This will never work with life because we were not made for this.
We were made for this. To, like a child, receive the gift that God gives us every day in big ways and small, hard things and good things, mundane joys and mountaintop moments. We were made to do this and to say thank you. So like, this is the first step. Finding the meaning of life begins with thank you. It begins with turning your life from this into this. And so this week, for application purposes, here's what I want us to do. Look, this step, don't get confused. It's not the final step. It's just the first one. We just, we just start here. See, Paul was writing about this. He said this in Romans 1, an apostle, one of Jesus' followers, and, and he recognized the same thing. He says, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Who's they? Us. People who are apart from God, life under the sun. Uh, and so instead their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's Ecclesiastes meaningless. You think you're smart going to get all this stuff, but it doesn't pay. You're pumping money into the claw game. And I love the fact that he says part of what drove us there was knowing that God was giving out gifts, but not being willing to acknowledge it. That will condemn us right there. That's life under the sun. So this week, I want to ask that we, uh, do this real practical thing together. So I'm gonna ask every, everybody that once each day, we would take Solomon's experimental results, his conclusion, and we would apply it to our lives. And once each day, remember he said, the best thing to do is like when you eat and drink and work, just enjoy it as a gift and say thank you. I want us to do that. So, so one time every day, I'm gonna jump on Instagram or on our social media feed this week, every single day, you can join me, love for that. And let's just pause and like enjoy your lunch, whether it is steak or ramen or an orange or whatever you got, and enjoy your work, whether whatever work is for you. If it's a job, if it's being a student, if it's caring for someone, if it's looking for a job, just pause and let's once a day stop and just say thank you. In fact, I thought we might like, get a jump start all together in here. And, and uh, if you're watching online, this is gonna be a little trickier for you, but I, but I got you. Um, when you came into any of our campuses today, you got handed one of these. I hope that you did not put it in your back pocket. It's been like 27 minutes, that thing's gonna be messy. This Hershey's nugget, and, and it comes in a pack of four, a variety pack. I love that the wrapping is all looks like precious metal. Kind of like stupid, curse the claw game. But, but I want you to just take this out. And in a second, we're gonna actually enjoy, practice enjoying a gift from God. Now, real quick, if you are allergic to nuts, this was processed in a facility that uses tree nuts. So raise your hand and we'll bring a, a peppermint to you real quick. You got folks in here that can do that if you need it. But for the rest of us, I mean, you can start unwrapping, but just, I want you to just think about a couple of things. Um, the four pack has milk chocolate, milk chocolate with almonds, special dark chocolate with almonds, and toffee. Notice that I didn't get you just a regular old Hershey's kiss. We are bougie like that. This is this church, this is what we do, nuggets. Not Ferrero Rocher either, don't get confused, but, but we did this. How many of you got the one that you would have picked out of those four? 
So some of you did not get what you have picked. Isn't that like life? You know, you didn't choose that. Some of you can't eat it, probably. And you could be tempted to take this thing and because you can't enjoy it, just be like, throw it away. Or you could view it as a gift. And even if you can't use it, you could be generous with it to somebody like a little kid on your ride home today from church who would love it after lunch, of course. <laughs> open it up. Um, have you ever, do you know how to make chocolate? Like not just, you know, melt down the, the Hershey's bars, but like, do you know how to actually make this? I don't. What a gift that a few thousand of us are about to enjoy something that none of us know how to make. God's good, isn't he? Uh, let's, okay, at the risk of me looking stupid with chocolate on my teeth, let's go, let's take a bite. Everybody together. And I'll tell you what, if, I'm, if you're sitting here thinking this is stupid, I'm not gonna do it, you need this moment more than anybody. I'm serious. Tastes pretty good. I was thinking like, you know, we all need food. God could have made food that only tastes like kale. <laughs> he could have, right? We could have all survived only on kale. What a gift that he's like, I'm gonna make sugar and cocoa and quinoa. Have you thought of that before? What a gift this is. How, how, Valuable do you think this little thing is? I got two, because I'm up here. Um, you know how much these cost? I got these at the Costco value pack. One for everybody at the church. And um, they're 14.5 cents a piece. But let me ask you, is the moment that we're having together right now that might be opening up your mind and heart to an existential reality about your creator and his love for you and the feeling of delicious chocolate in your mouth, is that not worth more than 14 and a half cents? There's so much more value in our life. What if, what if, just go with me for a second, what if there were nuggets strewn all about the the path of your life. And every day you're walking past it. You're like some of those 1,070 people in the subway station, focused on your life, your plan, your agenda, just missing the gift. Or you're mad. Let me not say you, I'm mad. Because sometimes when God shows up and asks me to do something a certain way or at a certain time, I'm like, you are screwing up my agenda. I don't like your rule, rather than seeing it as a gift that unlocks more meaning for this life than I ever thought possible, than I can dream about. What if you started living life in every moment like it was a Hershey's nugget, especially the toffee ones? That's the question we gotta ask and answer. This whole series for the next few weeks, we're gonna look at several of the most important things that are in your life and allow you to ask and answer the question correctly. And this is the question. How are you gonna live? Is your life gonna be under the sun 
or under the S-O-N. I, I had to, it was too easy. I had to, but it's so true. This is why Jesus came. Jesus enters our world as king, comes as a suffering servant, through his life, death, and resurrection says, you don't have to cram all the meaning in life into right now. That's part of our problem, is we got 4,000 weeks and we're trying to cram forever into this moment and it does not fit. So you're trying to jump out of airplanes to wake up a new part of you and I mean, anything, find new experience, you're looking for what's next, you're trying to achieve, we're trying to make a name for ourselves and find significance, and none of it matters. At the end of 4,000 weeks or so, everyone will forget you. That's the message of Ecclesiastes, but what it points to, the frustration and anger and futility of that is supposed to point us to the truth that we are made for more. You cannot cram forever into now because you were made for forever and it does not fit. But the only one who can satisfy your soul, Jesus, is standing here saying, come on. Here's the invitation, come find life with me. Let me take care of all the past. Let me take care through my death, taking care of the guilt and shame that you feel. Let me offer forgiveness, but more than that, let me offer forever. 4,000 weeks. I have lived 2,481 of them. I counted this weekend. 2,481, and some of you are ahead of me, but some of you got a long way to go. How are you gonna live? Under the sun? Or under the sun? With the king? Finding all the meaning that you were meant for. It begins, it doesn't end, but it begins with saying thank you. So I thought, why don't we just think about what we're thankful for? See, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, remember? But here's what we know with God, he's always doing something new. Jesus says with God that he's, there's a new covenant of life in his blood. Uh, with God, uh, there's a new family that we can become a part of. With God, uh, he says, I take that heart of stone that you have and I'll give you a new one, a heart of flesh that beats and permeates for me and finds its life in my kingdom, in life with me. And at the end of the whole thing, Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. In fact, he's gonna make new all this creation, all the stuff that we experience, frustration, discouragement, all of that's gonna be new. And not just new, it's gonna be perfect. And you and I get a chance to be a part of that. Which way do you wanna live? Are you gonna be a what else? Are you gonna be a thank you? Let's choose to be thank you people. Let's pray. Father, this book uh, that you gratefully have chosen to keep included in your scripture it challenges and confronts like maybe none other. This book is just too close to home. It's too honest. And yet, the gift of including it for us to read these 3,000 years later is that it points us through our pain, through our frustration, to the only one that can satisfy. 
And God, you said that it starts with us just accepting life as a gift. James 1.17 says that everything, every gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like a shifting shadow. God, help us to see that. I pray that this week as we try little small exercises, small steps of growth towards being the kind of people that will fit and will love to be in your kingdom forever, God, that you would make us thank you people. That that would be the word on our lips all the time, seeing what you're giving as a gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, would you let us see the hard things this week through the lens of gift. Maybe all that we'll be able to do is to say, thank you that you're with me. I hate this. It's not right. And from your perspective, God, ultimately you will make it all right. But right now the gift is that you're with us in it. I pray that you would do that for people this week. I pray for, for those that, that have just gotten to that spot where it feels as if life is just empty that you would use little things like Hershey's nuggets and meals with friends and meals quiet by ourselves, your provision on a daily basis to wake us up. God, I pray that you would help us most of all to respond with the only appropriate appreciation for what you've done, Jesus. None of this matters without you. And yet you say, come, come find rest for your souls. Come find purpose for your life. Come find the life that is full and abundant and find it in you. So God, would you now take us and begin to tenderize our hearts to hear your call. And at the end of all of it, for forever, for eternity, Jesus, but in this moment, the one that we have right now, we say, 